We are in a series on wisdom. We're examining God's wisdom in God's word, and we're spending a lot of time in the book of Proverbs. This morning, we are going to address a topic that is applicable to each and every one of us. And it is likely a struggle for most of us. The text we'll be looking at involves a snare. A snare, you might know, is a trap, maybe a net, an actual trap mechanism, um, or even a hook for an animal to kind of catch an animal unawares, right? He's kind of walking around and then, boom, that snare grabs the animal and it never ends well. So what could that be? What would possibly become a snare for us? Why would God use that language for us? Our text this morning is Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 25. I invite you to turn or scroll with me if you have your copy of God's word on you. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 25. The fear of man lays a snare or proves to be a snare. But, in contrast, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. So here's how we've described wisdom As we've been going through Proverbs and other parts of God's word. We saw that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You can't even begin to talk about wisdom without talking about the fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord is the gateway, the entry place to gaining a heart of wisdom. We've defined wisdom or the fear of the Lord in this way when we make room in our thoughts, our affections, our convictions, our plans, activities, all of those things. We proactively make room for God and we put him first. Now, if this is the fear of the Lord, let's look at the contrast. And here it is. The fear of man. The fear of man is when we make room in our thoughts, affections, convictions, plans, activities, and on down the road for other people. It's a big contrast. To fear the Lord is to reverence him, to honor him, to honor his truth, to fear people is exactly the opposite of that. So let's travel back to the early church because this idea of the fear of the Lord or the fear of man, it runs right through God's word. As the church is established in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2, immediately, immediately, There are choices put before the followers of Christ. Are you going to honor the Lord or are you going to honor people? Where will your reverence or respect be? You might know as the book of Acts develops, as the church is developed, uh, the persecution, the, the 
the backlash first came against the leadership, against the apostles. Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. In fact, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 5. Because as the persecution and the pushback would come against the apostles, in one very famous incident, Peter drops down some truth, a rather famous response that he has. When pressed about preaching the gospel and preaching Christ. Verse 29 of chapter 5. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God. We must give Him reverence. We must choose His way and honor Him above the opinions and the pressure that come from other people. They had great resolve even in the midst of this persecution. Here's the price that they paid for their resolve. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. So they brought, they hauled them in, they charged them, do not speak the name of Jesus anymore, period. They roughed them up, they beat them up. So in response, the next verse, the apostles established the center of apostolic self-care and reco- No. No. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They chose hardship over comfort. They chose the Lord over men. And remember, Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, he is a very detailed-oriented person. I love what he says in verse 42. And every day, in, uh, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is the Jesus is Jesus. Luke made it very clear in response to being beat up and told not to speak about Jesus every day bar none they went from house to house and in the temple and they did not stop. They did not stop preaching Jesus. Because that is the fear of the Lord over the fear of man. So one way the early church faced the fear of man was actually in the face of persecution. Now we'll come back to that, but I want us, I want us to hit on some things that you and I experience daily. You and I, thank God, do not face currently the level of persecution that the apostles faced in the early church. 
So let's talk about peer pressure. There's lots of ways that the fear of man comes up against us. Peer pressure can be so crippling. When those peers around you, in school, in the workplace, wherever it is, the majority holds a view and you feel compelled to to fit into the mold of their view or their actions. Most of the time, peer pressure will cause us to do some rather stupid things. Because we're so focused on what other people are saying or what other people think about us or where people are pressuring us, but it never ends well. Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 2. We'll give a little apostolic example of peer pressure. Because don't think that peer pressure is just, you know, maybe just for you. It's for all of us. We face peer pressure in different ways. So remember the early church, Peter, suffered for the gospel. Peter took his stand. Peter chose to be roughed up rather than to bow to peer pressure. But even Peter got himself into some trouble. When it came to peer pressure, Galatians chapter 2, we're just going to read this, verse 11. But when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I, Paul, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. That is, he was in the wrong. For before certain men... Uh, came from James. He was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So the circumcision party came. This Jewish group came that opposed grace, and they started giving pressure on Peter because there's Peter, a Jew, a Jewish Christian who is actually eating with non-Jews. Verse 13, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Even Barnabas, the son of encouragement, was disoriented by Peter's behavior because Peter was acting in response to peer pressure to the fear of man. And so Peter did that which was wrong, which was in contrast to the gospel of grace. And when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? My point simply is this. Here are the apostles having to deal with the crushing force of peer pressure. And I want to make it really clear when we speak about these things this morning, I'm not here to beat you over the head with my Bible. 
we all know how powerful and how hard it is to stand up against peer pressure when peer pressure is leading you in the wrong direction. It might be directly in contrast to the gospel. Honestly, it might just be making dumb life choices that others are pressuring us to make. Now, peer pressure has a cousin. And her name is other people's opinions. There's peer pressure in which others are actively, strongly pushing us to be a certain way, act a certain way, do certain things, conform to the mold. But then there is the power that we grant other people who hold opinions about us about how we do things how we live our life choices that we make you can probably fill in the blank for yourself with great in a very specific way when people become our critics the problem is when we allow said people with their little opinions To live rent free up here. That's where the problem begins. We all know that there are times where other people's opinions or perspective, especially if it's given respectfully, can actually be very helpful to us. We can learn from that. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the peanut gallery that's always around us. People who are sounding off on their opinions, people who don't know the whole of it, who are saying things that are very intimidating to us. Now, when we live here, when we live in the realm of other people's opinions, inevitably and without exception, there are certain things that will take place in your life. Stress, anxiety, turning things over in your mind more times than you can even keep count. Loss of sleep, you're literally losing your mind. You're losing the ability to think straight about anything because Once those opinions take root, once we give them, as I said, that rent up in our mind, we begin to think about it and we obsess about them because it might be that the reason why we care about their opinion is because, well, they're someone we want to be like or we want to be liked by them or we want to be known by them. So their opinion holds some sway in the way that we think. But saints, God's word says, it's a snare. It's a snare. It will never end well for us. It will never be well for us. Because they will steal our joy. They will steal our resolve. They will fill ourselves. They will fill us with anxiety and fear and concern. And saints, the Bible says... There's a better way. 
Before we look at that, I think it would be good for a moment to just take a peek on what's on the other side. You see, so often we're so taken by the opinions and the words of other people that we fail to see in the moment that those people likely themselves are filled with their own insecurity. Might be operating in pride, arrogance. Believe it or not, they actually, the ones that you're intimidated by, might actually be jealous of you. Greed and lust right on down the road. It's helpful if we can calibrate ourselves to step back and say, why is that person continuing to say what he or she is saying? What's behind it? Sometimes it's so hard for us to see that in the moment, but let's take it a step further, particularly when this is an unbeliever. All of the things I just mentioned, and also what the Bible says, a foolish heart. Notice the gospel contract, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But, in contrast, their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Do you see the contrast? They did not glorify God. Nor did they have a heart of gratitude for all that God has blessed them with. But in contrast, biblically speaking, their foolish hearts became even more darkened. Why am I pointing this out? These are not the guys that we want to be listening to. These are not the people that we want to allow to speak into our life. These are not the people that we want to influence us because it's not coming from a good place. And here's our series contrast. They claimed to be wise, but they became fools. That's a contrast. We see it all the time. People setting up shop, telling the world why they have it all figured out and why everyone should listen to them. And then they do that personally with you and with me. They set themselves up and they claim to be wise, but in fact, they're fools. And that's why the Bible says to give heed to that, to allow that influence in our life will become a snare. It will not be well for us. Now, thank God, the Bible does not just say, stop doing that. Because we all know how hard it is. We've all been there. We know how difficult it is to navigate through and to deal with people who are speaking out against us, who are 
offering advice or who are pulling and tugging at our heartstrings while no one else is watching. And they very well might be targeting knowingly or unknowingly our insecurities, our weaknesses. So I'd like to give you an antidote to this. And I'll begin in this place. So 2022, things were shut down. 2020, sorry, things were shut down, as we all know. At the time, all eight of us were living in our home. So what that meant was that the Wi-Fi was having a really hard time catching up with everyone all throughout the day. Colin does not have an office or a private room in our home. So I became, I chose the laundry room because that was the one place where I could have little Zoom meetings, all of that, and I could shut the door and I could have some degree of quiet. And I say that because I remember exactly where I was when this happened. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn, if you're still in Galatians, to the left to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Tuesday mornings, uh, there's a men's Bible study. Everyone's invited. Uh, we meet in person right in the small sanctuary across there. Tuesday morning, 6.30 a.m. Also, people chime in on Zoom as well. So we are, this is like May, I think. We're going through 1 Corinthians. We just go verse by verse, take a couple verses each, each, um, each Tuesday. But something struck me. You know, there's... There's benefit to learning God's word, to understanding the details of God's word. But there are times when God takes a verse or a truth from God's word and he just, it's like time stands still and he applies it directly to you for our benefit. That was my experience a couple of years ago. And it has to do with the judgment seat of Christ. Now, you might recall 2020 was a little on the cantankerous side um, across the board. Um, And we pastors found ourselves right in the middle of all of that. Um, But I needed to hear this from the Lord. Even as we were discussing with with the group, and um, it actually wasn't even the topic, I don't think. But for me, it was just something that brought me immense Freedom. And here's the concept. You and I, as believers in Christ, will on that day stand before him and give an account for our lives. The question is not where we will go, because that was settled at the cross. But our lives will be examined. There will be an accounting for how we used our resources, our time, and so on and so forth. And here's what that means. You have an audience of one. When you stand before the Lord on that day, when your life is over, when all is said and done, You will not give an account to Harry and Sue and Bob, and no offense to people who have those names, whoever the people are in your life who are that chatterbox that never stops. You and I will stand before God. 
And that's what Peter innately understood in the beginning of the church. We must obey God rather than men. Specifically, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm just going to read it. Paul, speaking as an apostle, verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. That's a kind of a direct word to pastors, really, and the elders right there. Right, The foundation has been laid. We're not going back. That foundation has been laid. And every generation, we build upon that. For no one can lay a foundation, verse 11, other than what is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Right, That's a non-negotiable. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and fire will test what sort of work each has done. Now, I promise you, on that day, when you stand before your Lord and Savior, when you see Him in His glory, when you see what is ahead, when you see what Christ has saved you from and what He has saved you to, when all is done, What will captivate your mind in that moment? Think about it. You're not going to hear the background noise anymore. You will stand before the one who came to earth, who lived among us, who died for us, who shed his blood for you, who loves you. That helped me immensely. It's not a new doctrine. It's not a secret thing that I'm sure most of us know the concept that we will stand before God as believers in Christ. We will give an account for our lives. But saints, why? Why? Why do we give room for other people's opinions? The Bible says the fear of man, it is a snare. So let's turn to Jesus' own words. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Let's take that concept and make it very stark for us. Matthew chapter 10. We live in a day and an age where much of God's word just seems to be edited out, if you will. We like certain things. We don't like this. So we're going to stick over here. And eventually your Bible becomes about as third as big as it actually is. Verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Let that sink in for a moment. 
This is Jesus. These, these are red letters if, you have a, if you're looking at your Bible. Jesus says, listen, do not fear, do not make room in your life for people. Granted, they can cause you harm. We all know that. Emotional harm, they can harm you physically. Peter knew that firsthand. Paul said, I bear on my body the mark of Christ. But rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Reverence God. Honor him. Fear the Lord. Reverence him. Obey him. Honor him. And make room in all parts of your life for him and for his truth. The contrast in our text is actually beautiful. But the one who trusts in the Lord will be safe. That's the answer. That's why that beautiful passage, Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Despite what you might think about yourself, you actually don't know it all. Trust in the Lord. Lean in on Him. Find your comfort in Him. Even when and especially when you don't understand what's going on. Beth read this this morning and Tim, of course, he had it woven in all throughout the worship said, The name of the Lord, Proverbs 18, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. I love that imagery. The Lord, the name of the Lord, His renown, His glory. He is a strong tower. He is the one that we find refuge in. He is the one where we find safety. Saints, one of the biggest challenges in your life will be to get this right. To fear the Lord and to not fear other people. Remember, to fear biblically is not merely to not be afraid But it's to thoughtfully and intentionally give reverence to that person in your life. We do not want to give reverence to the opinions of others as they contrast the truth of God's word. The fear of man will provide a snare, will become a snare. And let me say it one more time. It's a struggle. It's a battle. Do not defeat your own self by feeling so bad that you're having such a hard time with it. It is challenging. But I can tell you this. God is faithful. As you turn to him, as you entrust yourself to him, as you trust him in all of these challenges that we inevitably face, I promise you, God is faithful. Run to him. Choose. Choose. Resolve to put your confidence and your trust in him. So let's look at 
one more example from the early church, Acts chapter 4. We've talked about persecution. We've talked about um, persecution, other people's opinions, and peer pressure. So I want to circle back to persecution. Because we can learn so much from the saints of old as they faced affliction squarely for their testimony. If you know my own story, um, the saints in the old Soviet Union played such a vital part in my own spiritual formation when I was in middle school and high school and reading about people actually living at the same time who were facing persecution and who did so joyfully, who did so with resolve, who suffered great loss. I've said it before, when I was living in Moscow, 1990, 1994, off and on during that time, um, I think it was 1992, I was, had the pleasure of going to a house church, if you will, that was on someone's farm, and it was outside of Moscow, so it was a kind of a rural setting. And uh, long story short, uh, the pastor of that church had been imprisoned uh, under... Uh, in the old Soviet Union, had been in prison for nine out of 14 years. Nine out of 14 years, he was in prison for his faith, for refusing, refusing to back down. And uh, during that time, he had a little barn or something. They knocked his barn down twice. That's where they met for worship. Uh, they knocked that down twice. I'm just going to be honest with you. As a dad, he missed nine years of his kids' lives. But you know, when I met him, I don't think I've seen anyone smile, like the glow as he talked. And I asked him to recount it just a little bit. He had lots of gold teeth, right? So it's almost like shiny, right? He was recounting, and here I'll just summarize it for you, the honor that my family had of suffering for Christ. Let's be honest, if dad is taken out of the picture for nine years, that there's mom. And then there are kids growing up without their dad, so on and so forth. But my point is, I'm trying to remember how I even connected this. The point is, how people view persecution, how they respond to it, is inspiring for us. So Acts chapter 4. We're going to look at one more little example. As I said, as you read through the book of Acts, the first five chapters or so uh, is where persecution begins. And it's always, it's always pointed at the apostles, right? They're the ones who are getting the, the, the pushback. So this is what I really like. It, it's the same narrative, right? They're out there preaching. They're talking about Christ. They can't stop talking about Christ. People get riled up. The authorities call them in. The religious leaders. It's the same kind of narrative. And it just repeats itself all throughout uh, the book of Acts. And it's raining. And um, look at verse 18. So they called them, the apostles, and charged them to not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. That was their charge. Do not say a word about Jesus anymore. Next verse. 
But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter puts it right back to them. Remember, this is the guy that was scared out of his skin by a little girl just not long ago. Right? Peter now is filled with the Holy Spirit. He puts it right back to them. He says, no, no, y'all judge what I should do here. But there's something I want you to see. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, so the threats kept on coming... They let them go, finding no way to punish them, because the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. Do you see the undercurrent to this? Good things were happening. People were getting saved. Their eyes were being opened. Joy was beginning to set in. And Peter, kind of the the ringleader, is like, yeah, sorry. I, I, I can't stop talking about this. It wasn't just that he had inner resolve to do the right thing. It was so awesome to be a mouthpiece for the gospel. He said, I can't stop. So I take you back to last week. Remember we said, be like Collins. Here's what I want to pull out. Those who knew him know that the joy of the Lord was there for him. He had learned a lot in life. He had learned through his mistakes. He had learned to to let go of his pride and his anger and all of these things. And you would see on his countenance the joy of the Lord. Listen, when you think about the fear of man versus the fear of the Lord, I encourage you, spend time with the Lord so you are renewed and encouraged and helped yourself so that you can face your trials with joy. The fear of man is a snare. I commend to you the simple Bible truth. You and I have an audience of one. He is the one to whom we will give an account. He is the one who loves us so perfectly, who gave his life for us. Shift our thinking to that. Let's bow and prepare our hearts for prayer. Uh, This morning we've touched on a topic that is surely one that is a struggle for most of us. Take just a moment of quietness to reflect on those people that are asserting pressure on you. That you feel unsettled by. And commit yourself to trust in the Lord because he loves you. Oh Lord, this morning... We know that the opinions of others and the pull of the world, the draw that other people have, the space that we give other people in our own mind and thinking, it can be crippling. 
I pray that you would give us resolve and courage to reverence you more than we do any of that. Remind us over and over again that we will stand before you to give an account for our lives. And I do not want to be caught with my hands in my pocket on that day. Pray that we would each and every one of us be deeply encouraged by that. That our judge is the one actually who shed his blood for us. Develop within us that healthy reverence and fear of the Lord. So that we are not sidetracked by other people. But we run the race before us with joy and focus and resolve. We thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel that we talk about. Yes, we are all sinners. And we all need a savior. The Lord Jesus Christ is that savior. He lived among us, never sinned, laid down his life, was crucified, buried, and rose again. And when we turn to him and put our faith and our confidence, our trust in him and in him alone, we are saved. We always pray if there is but one person who has never put their faith in Christ that today would be the day of their salvation. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.